This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM, KGVO. Missoula's News and Weather Station. Hey, welcome everybody. It is the Thursday edition of Talk Back. We are absolutely... Oh, thank you. We are absolutely racing through <laughs> racing through this week uh, because we have obviously had Monday off. So, uh, welcome. It's the Thursday edition of Talk Back, which is brought to you this morning by Phillips Janitorial. As the new year begins, don't forget to call them for residential and commercial cleaning where no job is too big or small. A free estimate at 260 and by our continuing sponsor of Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery. For all your New York favorites, they have New York cheesecake, they have lox, they have fabulous bagels, bagel sandwiches, and cannolis. Uh, Brooklyn Bagel located on North Reserve. Guys, we'll go on for like two minutes or three minutes. With a preamble. Yeah, right. right. And then they'll ask you a question. <clears throat> and, uh, and you have to say, just enough time to say yes or no. Right, well... <laughs> Sometimes I get in a few more words, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, no, I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's, that's the way it is. So, but you have lots of Congress people up there who are Republicans and lots who are Democrats. And so, you know, uh, you'll get asked lots of questions. So, I mean, I, I don't know how many questions I got asked. We're going to come right back. 721-1290 is our number. Our guest in the studio is Dr. John Lott uh, from the Crime Prevention Research Center uh, located right here in Missoula, Montana, ladies and gentlemen. And we're going to come right back. By the way, all of our phone lines are open. If you have a question or a comment, uh, that number is 721-1290. We will continue right after this. No job is too big or small. Visit FisherFamilyConstruction.com or call 406-274-2036. That's 406-274-2036. Roofing at its best. Okay, we are back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. And joining us here in the studio, Dr. John Lott, uh, president and founder of the Crime Prevention Research Center. Now, uh, in addition to that that testimony, how, how long ago did that uh, occur? Well, it occurred on December 15th. Okay, so it was fairly, fairly recent. Right. All right. And so uh, uh, after, after that, after that uh, appearance was all over, uh, what kind of reaction did you get from those folks? Or is it just you're in, you're out, see you later? Uh, well, I mean, uh, the congressman came up to me afterwards, Jim Jordan and uh, Louis Gomer and uh, uh, some of the other ones there uh, came up to me afterwards and thanked me for my testimony. We talked for a while about different things. Uh, and Republicans were kind of talking about uh, Thomas Massey uh, is kind of takes the lead on a lot of the gun issues there in the Judiciary Committee. And uh, we talked a little bit about what they're going to be doing uh, when the Republicans finally take control of uh, this. <laughs> if, if they the, can ever get their act together, right? The House. <laughs> and so... Uh, um, you know, there are a lot of things that they want to do. Uh, Massey's questions uh, uh, during the time, I think, kind of foreshadow a little bit about what he wants to uh, try to have them focus on. So, for example, um, I, I know he wants to t deal with the errors in the Nick's background check system and uh, uh, and particularly how it discriminates against uh, minorities um, and uh uh, he's asked, uh, uh, the director of the FBI has come twice over the last year or so before the House Judiciary Committee 
and had made promises to Thomas on the record there that they would provide the data on the errors. Uh, but, you know, he promises and then he doesn't do anything with regard to it. I have to say, it kind of reminds me a lot when I was working uh, in the Department of Justice up until January 2021, um, you know, uh, the FBI just refused to give data on that. I don't know if I've told you guys the story about that before, but the uh, so when I went to Washington, one of the things I wanted to work on were the errors of the background check system and and. Uh, it should be pretty easy. I went to the Bureau of Justice Statistics people, told them what I wanted done. They thought it was interesting. They went to the FBI. The FBI came back and said, well, we're not interested in looking at this. Really? And so, and, and the response was, well, it's not really your call on whether it's interesting or not. Uh, we want to see the data. And the FBI came back and said, look, we can't think of any reason why you want to break down this data by race and, and sex. And my response is, you guys break down everything by race and sex. What's the big deal here? So anyway, <clears throat> we argued back and forth for a couple weeks, and then they disappeared. I mean, one thing you have to understand, this is during COVID. So like on my floor, um, there are like 300 desks. And um, virtually all the days, I was like the only person on the floor that would be coming in. So it's not like you can go and knock on somebody's door and force them to answer. You send them an email. You leave a voice message, and it goes into the ether someplace. And they're obviously at home working, working yeah, remotely, right. that sort of thing, right? Yeah, I guess they're working. <laughs> anyway, the uh, – uh, so anyway, um, uh, uh, they, um, they kind of disappear. And then uh, two days after the election, they come back, and they, and they say, okay – you guys are going to have to fill the FOIA request. This is a Freedom of Information Act request. I mean, you're in the media. That's what reporters do. It's right. not what one part of the Department of Justice does for another part of the Department of Justice. And, uh, and, and, and they say, but even if you can fill it out today, there's no way we're going to be able to get this done until after January 20th. And we're sure that the Biden administration will not be interested in this data. So there's no reason for you to fill it out. Wow. Anyway, so we go and argue back and forth, and then they disappear again. And then <clears throat> the Thursday before Thanksgiving, I get a call from a guy named Grover Norquist, who's kind of a big kind of conservative muckety-muck in D.C. I know Grover. Grover and I wrote a book together. And so anyway, Grover's going to meet with Mark Mitchell uh, the next day, who's the chief of staff for the White House. And Mark, who I've known some uh, wanted to know uh, what things could still be done before the end of the Trump administration. And so I gave Grover two ideas. One of them is on the errors in the background checks. So Grover met with Mark. Mark uh, was interested in the idea and told Grover that he would give Bill Barr a call on Monday morning and tell him there are three things that the White House wants them to do. Two of them are my ideas. And so uh, Mark... Uh, calls up Bill, and Bill, my understanding, is contacted the FBI and told them to stop goofing around and to work with me on the stuff. Anyway, I think that was about 11 o'clock in the morning. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Politico, which is kind of the inside the Beltway political publication, comes out with a headline at the very top of the website saying, controversial 
pro-gun researcher joins Department of Justice. Apparently what happened was as soon as the FBI was told to work with me, they immediately called up people in the media to complain about having to work with me. And uh, and so the next few days were kind of... Well, you're very threatening, John. I <laughs> see you're backing up away from me right now as we're talking. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, the next couple weeks were crazy, actually. But the next couple days, uh, my understanding is is that the... Department of Justice got more demands that I be fired than anybody else during the uh, Trump administration. Wow. And uh, and uh, all the gun groups sent in massive emails and FOIA requests and stuff. I had like 15 FOIA requests uh, demanding emails back to 2015. Basically, it was just the gun groups getting together and saying, what can we do to bury lot and paperwork? And yeah, uh, you're talking about the anti-gun groups. The, right, the anti-gun yeah. control okay. right. people. Right, and uh, um, so, and then the the Monday after Thanksgiving, uh, all nine Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee wrote a letter to Bill Barr, demanding to know how somebody like me could get hired at the Department of Justice. And uh, <clears throat> Bill, uh, uh, and then on Wednesday, Bill took a picture with me just to say, "Here's my response to the Democrats." There. And then uh, uh, after a couple of weeks, things kind of died down and the FBI finally started working with us on the data. And they would go and give us the data and the BJS people would look at Bureau of Statistics people would look at it and they'd say, this isn't adding up. There's something wrong with your data. <laughs> and uh, and they'd call up the FBI and the FBI say, oh, we're really sorry. We're just going to give you a call. We realized that there were some mistakes. Wow. This is really simple stuff. This is just like adding up columns that are there. You know, if you have an Excel sheet, you just put a sum thing at the bottom. Anyway, and it should be like 15 minutes to put the data together. We're not talking about anything deep. <clears throat> anyway, so... Uh, a week later, they give us the data. It still has errors. We went through that four times. And finally, on January 19th, they apologize again for giving errors in the data. And they say they'll fix it. Of course, we're out the door. And, and the data never gets done. We're going to come right back. And we have Joe waiting on the line. We'll be right back. Does your furnace... No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural. You must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Some of the best sounds you'll ever hear are generic. Safe. Effective, even money-saving, just like FDA-approved generic drugs. Even if they don't come in the exact same color or shape as their brand name equivalents, they have the same key ingredients and go through a rigorous review process. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist today and visit fda.gov slash generic drugs. Generics are safe, effective, and can save you money. You'll like the sound of that. <laughs> okay, we are back on Talk Back. Dr. John Lott joining us here in the studio. And Joe has been waiting quite a while. Joe, first of all, thanks for your patience. You're on with John Lott. Go ahead, sir. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, Joy Reid and uh, Behar and the, the View apparently had 32 legal 
forget what they call it, but they, they have they have to have a lawyer almost on stage with them because the inaccuracies that they um, uh, state on the show are so bad. Like Peter probably never had a legal challenge to anything he said in his career. But I'm not important enough. You know, well, go uh, ahead. <laughs> yeah, but but you know, uh, my question is: Are are the racist and uh, anti-Semitic comments? from people like uh, Whoopi Goldberg and, and Joy Reid, are, are they contributing to violence, you know, because of the whipping up that kind of a sentiments, you know, against white men or Jewish people, et cetera. And then if you have anything on uh, Hakeem Jeffries, you might have a few stories about him. I understand he's quite a uh, election denier and, in fact, uh, makes comments where he doesn't even believe in democracy. You know, I mean, pretty outrageous character, but the fact that he got a smooth sailing and uh, Biden's term is uh, lockstep, you know, he says we're in lockstep. The Democrats are in lockstep. That's an interesting statement. But anyway, if you want right. to talk about anything like that, that'd be great. Can you leave me on to listen? Sure. Go ahead. All right. Thanks so uh, much. Uh, go ahead, John. Well, um, I mean, obviously, there are people that make horrible statements that one disagrees with, but. I guess I don't blame individuals for violence that results from that. I mean, you can go and say things that I disagree with and what have you, but uh, there's still irresponsible people out there who are responsible for their own actions if they actually engage in violence. Um, as regard to Jeffries, I've never met the gentleman. I don't know him. Uh, so it's kind of hard for me to comment on, on him personally there. Um Obviously, the media, you know, if you're telling me that the media has a double standard, I'm shocked about that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that obviously, um, you know, Republicans who are concerned about the accuracy of the 2020 election are the biggest threat to democracy that exists. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously you can go and find lots of similar comments from Democrats who are there, and that doesn't seem to matter. Uh, so especially during the 2016 election there. They, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, it, was, sure. it was basically the well, same go back. thing. Flip it around. The 2000 election, the 2004 election, you can find lots of comments that are similar there. So, you know, after the 2016 election, uh, all the Democrats in the Senate uh, filibustered virtually all of Trump's appointees uh, for all things, not just courts, uh, because they didn't view him as a legitimate president. So, you know, it just, who knows what the double standard is there. But it's just, uh, you know, I, I think it's almost too obvious to comment on. Well, you, I, I know you have, uh, in addition to uh, your gun, uh, gun control research and, and the research you're doing now, you have a very long career in other areas of government. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I've looked at voting. I've done research on voting for 30 well, we, years. We've had you uh, talking about voting here in Missoula specifically. Right. right. Well, I mean, one of the things, I was actually the lead plaintiff in this lawsuit that requires that Missoula County uh, keep a record of who actually voted in the election. And uh, keep a record of the video that they have that they erased uh, after the 2020 election. So, you know, that's still in litigation and we'll have to see what happens. But at least we're able to get them to keep that stuff. I mean, to me, it's just mind boggling that uh, most counties around the country, uh, including Missoula, couldn't tell you who actually voted in an election. I, I thought it was going to be an easy task just to see. 
compare the number of votes counted with the number of people listed as voting, and yet you couldn't do that. And with that, we're we're up against our hard break. We're going to come back after the top of the hour, have another hour with Dr. John Lott. Phone lines are open at 721-1290. We'll be back. Appreciate you. Lucky Diamond. Lorraine knew she wanted to adopt a teenager from foster care. I love teenagers. I think it adds an element of fun because you can really do activities as a family that everybody loves. The Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption believes you're never too old for family. More than 20,000 children in the U.S. are at risk of aging out of foster care without a family. Learn how you can help at DaveThomasFoundation.org. This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Okay, welcome back, everybody. It's hour number two of TalkBack, brought to you by Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery. Authentic New York bagels and pastries all the way from Little Italy can be found in Missoula at Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery, our North Preserve, and... Also brought to you by Phillips Janitorial. If you have a need for your home or uh, your business to be cleaned, no job is too big or small for Phillips Janitorial. Here's that number, 260-6617. All right, we are back in the studio right now with Dr. John Lott, uh, president and founder of the Crime Prevention Research Center. And we do have a caller on the line right now, Dr. Tim. Uh, I'm sorry, Colonel Tim. <laughs> Colonel Tim Gardaby, yeah, good yeah. morning, sir. Yes, Peter, Colonel Tim. Yes, uh, Mr. John Lott, thank you for uh, coming on. And I think you're a a grand oasis out in the desert uh, of uh, a common sense here. Uh, Of course, just almost two years ago, we've uh, assigned on a a new president. And, of course, he has uh, his Democratic Party or anti-gun and Second Amendment opponents. However, uh, you were just talking about the FBI, and uh, it's been a long time since uh, the straight-laced TV program came on. Uh, Remember, it was all dramatic with Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. Anyway, uh, since then, I read a book about uh, J. Edgar Hoover, and I was not too impressed with the FBI. And so now I'm sort of suspicious about almost anything they say. Uh, as you were talking about their data, uh, uh, one thing uh, that happened right after, of course, you were just talking about the Buffalo shooter and an 18-year-old writing a manifesto. And I was kind of suspicious because uh, we've got 18-year-olds that can barely uh, read and write. So I was kind of suspicious about that. And plus the Uvalde shooter, uh, I think he was 18, and he had some very expensive weapons and some. He had a, three, a newer three-quarter ton Ford truck, and all these things that he seemed to be set up with. And if you wanted to turn the population against guns, uh, you would have mass shootings, and these mass shootings seem to happen. Uh, and I think there was a July 4th one also. Uh, anyway, I'm just sort of suspicious about the FBI. And now we hear about this Ray Epps character been going on since 
it's almost January 6th uh, anniversary. Uh, perhaps you can uh, expand on that. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call. Uh, well, I mean, if you're trying to argue that there's some type of false flag operation or if it's somehow being set up by the FBI, I guess I would push back on that. Uh, look, uh, you know, I think it's, you. Ha- as I mentioned before, you have people who want to commit suicide and they want to go and commit suicide in a way that's going to get them attention. They feel unappreciated. And at some point along the line, a couple decades ago, uh, people realized that if they killed lots of other people, they could, as they write many times in these diaries and manifestos, uh, they can get their names in the history books. And, uh, you know, you'll very frequently see statements in these uh, killers' uh, diaries and manifestos that will say things like, if I can only kill more people than such and such did, then I can get even more media attention. So you, you take something like Adam Lanza, the Sandy Hook mass murderer. Uh, uh, he had put together what police describe as a doctoral dissertation where he had looked at mass uh, public shootings over the p- past 40 years and had essentially graphed out the relationship between the number of people murdered in these attacks and the amount of media coverage that they had gotten in order to convince himself as if, you know, somehow he needed to be convinced about this, that the more people uh, that one killed, the more media attention that they're going to get. His goal, he said, was, according to one police report, was to go and kill more people than the Norway killer had killed, who shot to get 67 people, not including the bombing deaths that he had, because he wanted to get even more worldwide news attention than the Norway killer had gotten. So, I mean, that's the type of thing you see over and over again in these guys, uh, uh, what they leave behind. Uh, about 75% of the time they, they do die in the attack. Um, you know, it's a combination of them committing suicide or what's called police-assisted suicide, where you put the police in a situation where they have to go and shoot the person. Uh, the 25% of the time where they live, it's because they just couldn't bring themselves to commit suicide at the last moment. And, uh, but I don't, you know, I don't think the FBI is involved in putting these things together. Do I have a lot of problems with the FBI? Yeah. Do I, th- look, I've, I've worked in the federal government in the 1980s when I was chief economist with, for the U.S. Sentencing Commission. I worked for the federal government recently, uh, uh, in the Department of Justice. And all I can say is each time I've worked there, it's kind of confirmed my worst fears about the government. Uh, I think it's a lot worse now. I can't speak generally about the FBI. I can speak about the data people. And I think the data people at the FBI are are true believers. Uh, it's very political. And, uh, and the concern that you bring up about data in general is something that I'm concerned about. I'm not sure I can trust them anymore on a lot of the data that gets put out because just the way they would fight tooth and nail against releasing certain data that was there. Um, Especially if it wasn't data that was favorable to their view. Yeah, no, exactly. And uh, I had had cut twice, I had conversations with people where I'd be pointing out errors in data and I had people tell me, well, I'm a Democrat. That's what they would tell me, that they're a Democrat. As if somehow, what am I supposed to say? There's an error in the data. You tell me you're a Democrat and I'm supposed to say I'm a Republican and that's how we debate. It should be whether the data is right or wrong. 
Who cares what the political views are of the person? <clears throat> but things like the active shooting reports that they put out, um, I even uh, over the years have been able to get the FBI people to admit that they have an error in the data and they won't fix it because it goes against the narrative that they want to go and try to push. We're going to come right back. Line, phone lines are open. Dr. John Lodd joining us here in the studio this morning, the Crime Prevention Research Center. Uh, Research Center. Uh, he's here to talk with you. If you have a question or a comment, 721-1290. We'll be right back. For over 100 years, Missoula's off. My name is Teresa Barber. I was in the United States Navy, and I served overseas in the Middle East and Africa. Early on in my career, I had a commander that taught our suicide prevention training, and the very next day, he took his own life. 90% of suicide attempts involving a gun are fatal. My way of continuing my service is to help protect my community by being a responsible gun owner and by storing firearms safely. Store all your guns securely. Help stop suicide. Brought to you by N Family Fire yeah, and the yeah, Ad Council. Right. And we are back. This is Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. And, of course, our guest here in the studio is Dr. John Lott, uh, president and founder of the Crime Prevention Research Center. Uh, let's get right to the phones. I believe Vaz would weigh the longest. Vaz, good morning. You're on with John Lott. Go ahead. Good morning. Um, well, you know, I mean, I've I've listened to Mr. Lott talk for a while, and, and his I appreciate what he's saying because, I mean, he and I are probably, and then a lot of us are saying the same thing in our different tones and perspective. But I I just want to ask and kind of comment that as far as culture, you know, I mean, criminal behavior is a learned behavior. Gun violence, um, as history of my personal research in human-induced disasters, has shown is that gun violence is created here in America when Europeans, of course, came over and slaughtered the indigenous people of America, and that's where mass shootings started from. So fast forward to modern times, you know, gun violence is still learned and taught or seen from police shootings. And so um, social leaders are, you know, uh, cultural leaders. And so the false rhetoric of hate and crime, um, like what he just got done talking about as far as data uh, from the FBI. Yeah, just I, I, more, more. And then also in local city, uh, lawyers, you know, prosecutors um, falsely manipulate, you know, um, criminal cases. So society gets a wrong belief of, of individuals. So it's basically people in the system who, when interpreting all these behaviors, are also the ones who are the social leaders who are purposely breaking the law. So has there been any studies on America's culture and behavior um, in leading of all these criminal behaviors within politicians and, and yeah, in, in, in the country, instead of coming from an American perspective? So I'm coming from a minority first-generation uh, indigenous perspective, analyzing this from both cultures, growing up in, in in American culture and still following my indigenous culture. So I'm seeing both two perspectives here, and there's never been the rhetoric from an indigenous minority uh, perspective. Uh, now, uh, may, may I ask, what, what is your heritage, Va? I'm Hmong. Okay, you're, you're, you're Hmong. Okay, right. great. So uh, uh, thanks yeah. for sharing that. I appreciate it. Go, go ahead, John. Thanks. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, there was a lot of violence before uh, Europeans came to North America. 
or any of the Americas for that matter. Um, you know, they may not have had guns, but surely lots of people were killed. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I'm not really sure uh, what the point is of going and saying that somehow this is something that arose when uh, when Europeans came. Um, but, you know, with regard to politicians, whether there's a study on politicians and their desire for this type of violence, I'm not really sure. I'm, obviously... Uh, there are lots of academics that have looked at why people engage in violence uh, in general. Uh, the United States is not a particularly violent country in terms of overall violent crime. Uh, we have a relatively high murder rate compared to some European countries. But uh, there are lots of countries around the world that have much, much, much higher murder rates than we have here in the United States. Is that per capita speaking? Per capita, right. sure. I mean, we have um, we have over 330 million people. You don't want to compare just the total number of murders here any more than you want to compare the total number of murders in Montana to Texas or something like that. But uh, um, you know, if you look at the violent crime rate, uh, you know, the UK has a violent crime rate that's about twice the violent crime rate in the United States. Canada, but we don't hear that. No, we don't. Um, Canada has a violent crime rate that's about 75% higher than the violent crime rate that we have here in the United States. Despite the fact that, that uh, firearms are hard to, harder to get there? Or? Well, hard to get and maybe even soon almost impossible to get. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, the thing is uh, I'm, that you're bringing up here, and that is kind of the association between firearms and violent crime. What most people don't seem to understand is that over 92% of violent crime in the United States has nothing to do with guns, you know. And But, you know, I guess maybe because of the media and stuff, it seems like any of the discussions or the vast majority of discussions about violent crime involve – violent crime involves guns. Uh, and plus, you know, uh, President Biden and others talk about – when they talk about solutions for violent crime, it's always in terms of gun control that's there. But you got to deal with the fact that a little bit over, and this is not something unusual now for decades, uh, you've had over 92% or so of violent crime having nothing to do with guns. I will, I will tell you, there has been quite a spate of carjackings recently. Uh, and it's become, I don't know whether it's Vogue or whatever, but it, there's more and more, see them because I guess across the country, there, there's more cameras available, I right. guess. And, and primarily it's, uh, the majority of those are, are people overcoming a, a, a woman or an elderly person, dragging them out of the car, jumping in and driving off. There's no right. gun involved. That's right. still a violent crime. Yeah, sure. Look, <clears throat> um, when I was at the U.S. Sentencing Commission, I must have read over a thousand trial transcripts. And one, and it's like no way you can read that many criminal uh, trial transcripts and not come away with the notion that criminals want to make their job easier. And so they go and they pick weak, vulnerable targets. So you mentioned women and the elderly. That's These guys are not that stupid. They go and they say, if I have some big guy, do I try to take his car or do I go and take it from a woman? Where you have a guy attacking a woman, there's a large strength difference or an elderly person that's there. So that's, you know, they often don't need to have guns when you have those types of large strength differences that exist. 
We're going to come right back. Uh, we still have uh, Mr. Wingnut and Jr. both w- wanting to visit with Dr. John Lott, who's joining us here in the studio this morning. with several other phone lines open. You have a question or a comment, or you can use the KGVO app and message us, and uh, Nick will be happy to share that with uh, Dr. Lott. We'll be back right after this. How is your job to school? Let me tell you. I had to get my iced coffee first. I just can't seem to put it down. My favorite rapper just announced a tour. My phone was buzzing like crazy. I'm so excited. I had to text all my friends right then to talk about it. Then someone started calling me and... Let's try that again. I turned my phone off right away. I never drive distracted. Visit stoptextstoprex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. We are back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. Dr. John Lott joining us here in the studio this morning, uh, the founder and president of the Prime Prevention Research Center. Uh, let's get right back to it. Mr. Wingnut. Mr. Nutt, you're on with Dr. Lott. Go ahead. Well, good morning. You know, uh, unfortunately, it seems that your experience with the FBI is has become increasingly standard operating procedure by other politically weaponized agencies. And as Peter mentioned, your expertise far exceeds just firearms and violence investigations. And I was hoping that you could help us mull over some, you know, get your perspective on mulling over some concrete solutions this morning. In the four examples that immediately come to my mind is, is convention of states and, and term limits. Uh, changes where you know federal agencies are in the head of promulgating regulations which essentially become law instead of having laws passed by legislatures uh, having legislation broken down into parts instead of passing these huge bills that that aren't even that you have to pass the bill to know what's in the bill essentially uh, or or the FBI you know having them go back to their you know law enforcement um, functions instead of becoming an intelligence agency that uh, monitors citizens. Right. Uh, so I'd just like to get your your take on some of this All stuff. Right. Thank you. Thank uh, you, you, sir. You know, I wish it was as simple as something like a convention of states or what have you, but, uh, you know, you go and put down more rules. The problem is that they're not willing to follow the rules that are there right now. So, for example, uh, when I taught in law schools, I've been at University of Chicago and then I was at Yale, um, One of the things I would ask is that look at the First Amendment. The First Amendment says Congress shall pass no laws. And my comment would be, what would they have had to write if they really meant Congress shall pass no laws? Would they have to say Congress shall never, ever, 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 ever pass laws? I mean, would that be clear? How many nevers or evers would they have? With a pinky swear. Yeah, right at the end. They say, oh, okay. Now they they did mean it that time. Uh, What you have to understand, for example, is that judges like power and they don't like bright lines because if you have bright lines there, then people aren't going to go and ask them for their decisions on these things. And so what judges have done over time is they've introduced what's called balancing tests where they'll go and they'll say, Congress will pass no law unless they have a good reason, and we in the courts get to determine whether or not they have a good reason for doing that or not. And so, you know, you could go and pass new constitutional amendments or whatever there unless you have people who are willing to follow the rules, and they're not willing to follow the rules right now that we have. I'm not really sure what it's going to accomplish. You know, maybe for some short period of time, but they're going to go and work on trying to change it. Uh, you know, um, so 
somehow we have to just go and educate people. I guess the big concern I have is that the left controls universities. I've been a university professor most of my life. I end up kind of leaving because of the huge political correctness that was there. But I've had positions at Stanford, University of Chicago, the Wharton Business School, Yale, uh, Rice, UCLA. And, uh, um, you know, it's uh, you have the universities, you have K through 12, you have the media overwhelmingly. Uh, you know, 20 years ago when I'd get interviewed by uh, the New York Times or Washington Post, reporters would kind of have people on both sides of the issue. Now you pick up the New York Times or Washington Post and a huge portion of the news stories only interview people on one side of the issue. And uh, because they're because they're being advocates. Yeah. And, you know, you could still bias the story, even if you had people on both sides. But it's somehow they want to make people feel like, well, there's only people on one side of the issue that's there. And, uh, you know, so we have lots of, you know, I'm not sure how we fix it. I've asked my friends and stuff, uh, the universities. um, When I first became a professor uh, in the 80s. Um, uh, you had two, it was still, economics was probably one of the most conservative parts of the academia, but it was still like 60% Democrats, 40% Republicans. Now it's like 12 to 1 Democrats to Republicans in economics. The other areas are even more lopsided. Uh, But you used to have two different types of Democrats. You had those that kind of came in before the Vietnam War and those who came in afterwards. So the Academics who had kind of come of age before the Vietnam War, I would disagree with them, but they would enjoy the arguing about the stuff. And and that's kind of what I thought academia was, that you would have people who kind of enjoyed the process of trying to figure out what was right or wrong. A free exchange of ideas. Right. Right. But the academics who came in after Vietnam uh, were much more, you know, their view was the only way to talk about More strident. Right. And uh, and now they completely dominate. Uh, about 15 years ago, there was a survey of law professors in the top 100 law schools, and it was like 93% were Democrats, 4% were Republicans. And one thing I've tried to tell people is that understates the imbalance because you can be a very – got to get a, a supermajority vote to get tenure. Uh, you can be a, such a wacky Democrat that you can alienate a third of the Democrats and still get tenure. But if you're a Republican, you have to get two-thirds of the Democrats to vote for you to get tenure. So the type of Republican who gets tenure is somebody in tax or corporate that nobody cares about and and also keeps their views to themselves if they have any. We're going to tell you what. We'll take a break. We have uh, several folks who want to visit with you, J.R., Emmett, and Skip, who all want to talk with Dr. Lott. We'll come right back after this quick timeout. Get to these phone calls. Stay with us. Sorry if I want How is your job to school? Let me tell you, I had to get my iced coffee first. I just can't seem to put it down. My favorite rapper just announced a tour. My phone was buzzing like crazy. I'm so excited. I had to text all my friends right then to talk about it. Then someone started calling me and... Let's try that again. I turned my phone off right away. I never drive distracted. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Okay, we're back on TalkBack, 721-1290. That's the number, and folks are taking advantage of that. JR has been waiting the longest. JR, good morning. You're on with Dr. Lott. Go ahead, please. 
Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I've gotten tired over the last few years of the liberals ramming down our throat, the false narrative that blacks are imprisoned at a much higher rate per capita uh, than anybody else. So I went to the FBI website a few weeks ago, and it showed that six, uh, whites make up 61% of the U.S. population, and they committed 58% of the violent crime, so 61% committing 58%, which is a one-to-one ratio. And then it shows the blacks, which make up almost 13% of the population. And that 13% committed 38% of the violent crimes, which is a three-to-one ratio. So, you know, that's the reason why a higher percentage on a per capita basis of blacks are in prison because they're committing violent crimes at a three-to-one ratio more. And uh, I'm just getting sick with the narrative. It's all, all because of racism. And I'll get off the line and listen to your comment. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call, JR. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're exactly right. Uh, you have to kind of adjust those numbers for the rate that they commit crime. Now, you know, uh, you'll have somebody like AOC that says that the presence of police cause crime. Uh, you know, the thing is, where do you want to put the police? You want to go and put the police in areas where the high crime is occurring. Uh, you look at surveys of minorities, surveys of blacks. They want the police in those areas. Uh, you know, the thing that's always amazing to me is uh, the you have liberals that will be complaining about the arrest rates and conviction rates for, for blacks. But who do they think are the victims of these crimes? So over 90% of, uh, of blacks are murdered by other blacks. The crime overwhelmingly occurs near where the criminals live. Who do you think lives there? Who owns some of the businesses in those areas? So they're committing crimes where blacks tend to own the businesses. They commit crimes where blacks tend to work. They commit crimes where blacks are shopping in the stores. The stores that are going out of business, who do they think they're hurting in terms of the shopping? Who owns houses in those areas whose property values go down? So you have, you know, it's not just the direct victims of, of crime. You have all these indirect effects that are there um, that are very damaging. And so, you know, I look at this and, and my heart goes out to those people. And I want to try to go and do something to go and protect them. And so you want to be tough on it. So you... Over half the murders in the United States are committed by blacks, even though, uh, you know, they make up, as you say, 13 percent of the population. Um, they, they go and they say, well, look, blacks are disproportionately uh, uh, on death row or are compared to their share of the population. But the thing is, they're actually on death row relatively low compared to their share of the murders that are committed there. And so you could say. You know, they're being discriminated in favor of if you want to go and try to play that type of game with the stuff. But it's my concern is that under the rubric of uh, caring about minorities, they're actually doing a lot of damage to minority communities when they go and they make it so that prosecutors, you know, these Soros backed prosecutors are refusing to prosecute violent criminals. Uh, They're making so police can't arrest people. Uh, they're in cutting their funds. They're going and having bail reform. Over the last couple of years, we've had many liberal judges around the country have released half or even in some urban areas, two thirds 
of the inmates that are there. If you don't make it risky for criminals to go and commit crime, guess what? You're going to have a lot more crime. And who are overwhelmingly the victims of that crime? Let's uh, continue on. I believe uh, we have Emmett up next. Emmett, good morning. You're on Talkback, sir. Hey, Emmett. Hello. Thank you. Very interesting conversation. But as far as... Oops, we lost somebody. Emmett? Well, but we lost Emmett. So, Emmett, call back. We'll get you right on. So, who, who else we have? We have, uh, we we have, have Skip. Skip. Okay, Skip, Skip. Sorry about that, Skip. I pushed the wrong button. Go ahead. What's on your mind, sir? That's okay, sir. I I, uh, I haven't talked to any of you since last year. So yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Gotcha. <laughs> and so, uh, and it's always a pleasure to listen to you, Dr. Lott. It's like going to a good uh, lecture hall at university. And uh, I, I wanted to... Uh, ask you first early in the program you brought up the word FISA there's some people that don't know what that is I'd appreciate if you can just give a definition later uh, in addition um, I, I wanted to tell you and first by the way may I ask when is Rob coming on Rob Nadelson because the convention of states have been mentioned in, in a, and uh, also there's an article having to do with the second amendment it's right here in the new uh, Bitterroot paper, and I, I would like to pass it by both yourself and Rob Nadelson. Can someone tell me when that happens? I'd appreciate it. Well, so, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was say Rob will be on Monday uh, next week. And thank you so much. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's a uh, this says the, your new Second Amendment, and this is right in the uh, op eds in the Bitterroot Star yesterday, and it's actually written by the person who's the chairman of the John Birch Society official chapter here in the good old Bitterroot. And it, it has to do with a member of the legal team for the Convention of States people, uh, and his name is Robert George. I don't know if you know who he is or not, uh, no, Dr. Lott. I know of Robert George, but the Robert George I know is a professor at Princeton, so I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, different, different guy. <laughs> Pro, uh, uh, proposed a new Second Amendment, and it's it's uh, it says what it is here, but it's it's uh, it's quite distinct and specific. And I uh, I thought it was something that you certainly might want to look into, and uh, be, because when it comes to the Convention of States. There's a huge process that it has to go through. I know. And in fact, right now in our in, in our state legislature, I'm sure something will come to the floor soon, uh, probably through, uh, uh, through through our Senator McGillray, uh, that, that will probably have a team to to uh, help it. And and it's uh, something that all, the process only involves us at this point. Uh, deciding whether to become part of the states that would even make an application to the yeah, I guess my, my view is the current Second Amendment that we have is pretty good. I mean, it says shall not infringe. I don't know. Again, it's kind of like <laughs> what we were talking about before. It really, really, really not infringe. Yeah, right. Shall never, ever, 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 ever <laughs> infringe. I don't know. You know, it's uh, uh, <clears throat> there's just there's just no respect for the Constitution. Right. No, I mean, they yep. do what they want. It's the whole thing, leaving, living, breathing Constitution where they kind of adjust for majority views. But the whole point is if you let the majority 
determine what the Constitution means, then it kind of defeats the whole point of the Constitution. The whole point of the Constitution was protect the rights of minorities. And, uh, um, you know, so, uh, you know, I, I guess I really don't, you know, the, if they're not willing to interpret, you know, shall pass no laws or shall not infringe uh, the way kind of any normal person would read those passages, then uh, I'm not really sure what the point is of kind of rewriting it. We're going to take a quick break, come right back. Emmett is back. We're going to get him right on, as well as Dave, and with several other lines open. And we also have the KGVO app. If you'd like to message us, we can pass that along to Dr. Lott as well. Uh, Dr. John Lott joining us here in the studio this morning. We'll be back with more right after this. Okay, we're back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. Dr. John Lotz here in the studio taking your phone calls this morning, and we're going to get Emmett on and keep him on this time. Okay. Emmett, my apologies, sir. What's on your mind? Oh, thanks. Yeah, uh, technical difficulties. Well, like I was saying, some solutions and whole observations. One, we have a world filled with psychopaths. A lot of it is called, these violent crimes are caused by psychopaths, and psychopaths have no conscience. They have no feelings or cannot observe them in others. I don't have time to get into the psychology of the psychopath, but that's one big um, contributing factor. Second of all, we have gotten away from Christianity. We're a post-Christian world. Christians are in the minority. And if we want a civilization where people act civilized toward each other, at least have a belief in God back that there is a God who will hold you accountable. Maybe the police can't always catch you. But there is right and wrong, and you can go to hell, but you're going to also be rewarded with heaven. That's a great deterrent to violent crime. If we're, and that leads into my third point. You know, schooler, people wink at schoolyard bullies and violence in society in general and expect men to act aggressively. I think schoolyard bullies should not be tolerated by the adults. It, um, vi- that kind of violence, being a big bully to you know, little kids or we- uh, people who are weaker, that should be, um, you should be a social pariah. Rather than encouraging them to say, well, boys will be boys, people should look at these violent psychopaths like we would child molesters and just abhor them, but then encourage men, uh, um, men and boys to openly embrace each other and have feelings and loving feelings and be vulnerable. That's always hated in society. You've got to have this boy code where you man up like John Wayne and, you know, even in foot, like football games encourage violence or boxing. We've got to reform the culture completely and get back to God. I could go on for hours. But All right. Well, those let's, are my thoughts let's let him comment on what you've said so far. Thank you, Evan. Yeah. Look, uh, obviously, police don't catch people all the time. There's not punishments. It's useful. I mean, even if one doesn't believe in God themselves, I can surely think of the justification for hoping that lots of other people do because, you know, God's looking over your shoulder uh, if you believe in God all the time and uh, you can't hide uh, the bad things that you do uh, from him. And so, you know, ultimately, I think that probably keeps a lot of people in line. Um, you know, the fact that uh, we've removed God from the schools and things like that could have an impact on people's, uh, you know, rate of belief. I still think as a majority of Americans are classify themselves as Christians. I don't think it's a minority yet, uh, but surely that matters. I, uh, I can I can tell you this, that church attendance has dropped oh yeah, dramatically right. over sure. the last 20, 30 years. Yeah, no, that's for sure. 
but people, even if they're not going to church, still classify themselves. Sure. But of course, my guess is their kids are going to be less religious than they were simply because the kids haven't been going to church right. and what have you. Exactly. Uh, you know, as far as bullies, I'm not sure I would classify them quite the same as a child molester. But, you know, uh, uh, surely people who harm others uh, uh, should be punished. Now, not allowing people to box or be able to learn how to do self-defense, I'm not sure I would go down that path either because there are going to be bullies out there and people need to learn how to be able to go and defend themselves if necessary. So let, let's uh, get another call on. This is, uh, we have an app question first, right? Yes, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, I was from Joel. Joel said, uh, I listened to a recent interview of Mark Bryant from the Gun Violence Archive talk about uh, Gary Kleck's defensive gun use estimates being misleading. Yeah. He said, obviously he's biased, but I wondered why we can't collect consistent crime data to present objective findings. Right. Uh, well, the Gun Violence Archive is a gun control group. It's recently come out uh, that Mark, uh, the head of that, was going and lobbying the Centers for Disease Control uh, to change their website uh, to remove the data that they had from a National Academy of Sciences report on the rate of defensive gun use. And his argument was in part that the CDC need to remove that information because uh, it was being used to go and fight against the types of gun control laws that he wanted to have, which seems kind of inappropriate for the CDC to determine whether or not they have information up on their website based on whether it makes it harder or easier to get certain laws passed that were there. It shouldn't be. But, you know, that's the CDC basically caved in and, and removed the information from the website. What Mark <clears throat> believes, and I've had discussions with him, uh, is that you should just rely on news media reports. So, like, they'll go and they'll say, you know, there's, uh, you know, so far, or last year, I think up until mid-December, there were like 1,000 news reports around the country that they've been able to find. But here, here's a couple problems. One is... Um, only about 22% of violent crime are reported to police. So you can't expect any of those to get news media coverage. And even the 22%, I mean, what percent of those do you think uh, end up getting written up in newspapers? Just a tiny fraction of those. So, you know, why anybody would believe that, uh, you know, media accounts will give you a total count of the number of defensive gun uses. Oh, let, me, let me tell you something about media. There are a lot fewer media people now than there right. ever have been. I mean, Nick and I are an anomaly here oh, uh, yeah. because we both were due news at, at, at a single station. That doesn't happen very much. Anymore. Well, go to any newspaper, go to the Missoulian or whatever. Yeah. You'll yeah. just see tons yeah. of empty desks all over the place. Uh, you know, I've seen that in New York Times. It's probably one of the ones that haven't lost as many as other places. But the Post and the Washington Times and others are just ghost towns compared to what they used to be. Let's try to get another call in before we take our break. Dave has been waiting the longest. Hi, Dave. Yeah, first of all, I do own guns. But, but Oh, no. Uh, oh, yes, yes. And I, I, anyone are you allowed to... to talk to us? I don't know. Right. But I do believe there are regulations when it comes to guns. You know, a six-year-old cannot pack a gun. So we do have regulations. And I believe the Founding Fathers, uh, when, they, when they wrote the Constitution, they, they didn't envision that, that uh, 
people, everyone should be able to own a cannon. Uh, and they well, they have, did have cannons at that time. I know Biden many times has said cannons were outlawed at the time of uh, uh, when the Constitution was written, but that's. There were no regulations on people owning cannons at that time that I know. It's a little of. difficult to haul around. Yeah, right. no, you're not going to rob a bank or whatever with a cannon. Right. But. It, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to own a gun, a cannon, and that's my point of view. That that uh, when it comes to gun regulations, I don't see the purpose of self-defense weapon of a, a semi-automatic rifle. You know, if I was if I was Defending myself, it would be my shotgun and not not a semi-automatic rifle. And I I don't oppose having them. I just think there should be more regulations involved in allowing when people want to have possession. Okay. Before you answer, we're up against our break. Dave, we're going to let him answer when we come back. Or we'll be right back. If there's a one-minute timeout, we'll be right back. Stay with us. Before I was adopted, I felt alone. After spending years in foster care, Lexi worried that she and her brother were too old to be adopted. Thankfully, the siblings were adopted, with help from the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. I love teenagers. To see how brave Lexi was and how she opened herself up to being in a family, all of a sudden, she's holding my hand and calling me mom. It was really special. Every child, no matter their age, deserves to grow up in a safe, permanent home. Children at every age experience challenges. Teenagers are more complex than young children, but in the best ways. You're never too old for family. Learn how you can help children still waiting to be adopted from foster care at DaveThomasFoundation.org. Okay, we're back on talk back. Okay, Dave was uh, talking about we, uh, your cannons. Yeah, that's semi-automatic guns. Yeah, right, he right. couldn't understand why people have. Look, <clears throat> so you're talking about rifles, semi-automatic rifles. You don't see the again. What's the alternative? Is uh, a manually loaded gun? The thing is, uh, so the difference is manually loaded. You fire around. You have to physically yourself then put another round in the chamber. With semi-automatics, you fire. It automatically reloads itself. One pull of trigger, one bullet comes out, it reloads itself. <clears throat> the thing is, the vast majority of guns, you know, probably 85%, 87% of guns sold in the United States are semi-automatics. And if you were to ban semi-automatic guns, it would, in fact, make it more difficult for law-abiding citizens to defend themselves. If you face multiple attackers uh, or you uh, fire and miss or you fire and wound but uh, don't incapacitate the attacker, you may not have the luxury of time to manually reload your gun that's there. And so... Uh, if you'll hang on for a second, let me put another bullet in the chamber. Right. There. Yeah, just wait a minute. <laughs> so, you know, um, and my guess is also if you were to ban them, uh, the most law-abiding good citizens would obey the ban. They'd turn in those guns. Uh, and the criminals would still be getting a hold of them. You know, in Mexico, since 1972, the most powerful gun that you've been able to legally buy in Mexico has been a 22 caliber short round rifle. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there are very few murders in Mexico that are committed by the drug gangs using 22 caliber short round rifles. And uh, the, um, you know, so even though law abiding citizens uh, are obeying the rules there and uh, the criminals there aren't, 
And why do you want to put the victims at such an amazing disadvantage relative to the criminals? Okay, let's uh, get Ron. Ron, good morning. You're on with Dr. John Lott. Please go ahead. Yeah, good morning. Uh, it's always interesting to have uh, Dr. Lott on. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, responding to what Emmett said, uh, I believe yeah, that's true, but we need more moral fiber in the country. And I kind of put a lot of the blame on the churches because you notice they're about closed 165 hours a week. And they need to start studying the, the commandments a lot more. They gloss over them about once a year, and that's it. Uh, and they need to be open a lot more. And uh, they need to start doing their job. And uh, well, I, 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 If I may just share, I, I'm a church-going guy. I go to, to uh, Missoula Alliance Church. It's open every day. Uh, there are things going on there every single day. Uh, there, are, there are services on Sunday, right? But there are meetings going on and help with the... Uh, with homeless folks, and there's also uh, some some uh, uh, immigration folks that, that have have come uh, from the Congo. The Congolese uh, uh, congregation uses our church quite a bit. So it, 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 not every church is, clo- is is locked up, except for you know at, at nine and eleven on Sunday. Yeah, I'm not saying that the churches aren't doing you know some some good things, but. Uh... They're not uh, studying the commandments. Well, they're kind of, they have to go and deal with a massive uh, tidal wave in the rest of the culture. I mean, uh, in universities, uh, the number of kind of religious Christians is like virtually zero. I remember talking to full professors who would tell me that they would never vote for tenure for somebody who was religious. Um, So... And one of the funny things was, uh, you know, I got to know people in divinity schools at Chicago and Yale and at Penn. uh, And uh, I think one of the rules must have been if you're teaching in the divinity school, you had to be an atheist. I'm not sure. I'm not I'm not sure at any of the divinity schools where I actually knew the faculty there that anybody was even remotely religious in any of the divinity schools at these top schools. So, I mean, it's not, it's pretty hard. You can't go and blame the churches for this. There's a whole culture out there. We talked before about the fact that uh, in public schools, religion has been uh, removed. Uh, it's, it wasn't true for the vast majority of U.S. history. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the, so you have a very hostile universities, hostile K through 12, hostile media. You know, there's a lot kind of swimming against uh, the tide that the churches have to deal with. We're, we're, oh, I'm we're, sorry. Yeah. Oh, though Ron's gone. Yeah, okay. We only have like one okay. minute left. We, 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 we have uh, two minutes left, actually. So do you want to wrap up? Uh, any, anything any you, you want to share with us before <clears throat> we let you go? Uh, well, I mean, just kind of in summary, if you want to reduce crime, you just got to make it risky for criminals to go and commit crime. Uh, you can do that lots of ways, but, uh, you know, law enforcement, higher arrest rates, higher conviction rates, longer prison sentences. But, you know, making people believe that there's a God looking over their shoulder probably doesn't hurt either uh, in terms of uh, 
you know, making people think it's risky to do bad things and harm other people. So where, where are you headed next? I know you travel a lot. So right. uh, well, th- today I schedule? go on a plane again. I'm going to Austin, Texas. Uh, I'm going to go and give, uh, I guess, a couple talks or uh, three talks, I guess. And, uh, and then um, uh, the following week I'm going to be in Las Vegas. And then I'm going to be at the University of Chicago Law School to go and give a talk and um, I got a few other university talks kind of lined up after that. Well, you're a busy guy. We appreciate you carving out a slice to be with oh, us. Oh, no, I'm here. I was willing to drive the whole six minutes to get here for the <laughs> studio. So, <laughs> Dr. Lott, it's always a pleasure, well, sir. Thank, thank you, you very much. Appreciate it. I like your wry sense of humor as well. <laughs> thank you. All right, so what's coming up on tomorrow's show? Uh, tomorrow's mainly going to be uh, open phones. And again, uh, we are on from 830 to 10 tomorrow. Right. Because uh, the Catch and the Big One show, or I guess it was Hunter's Breakfast. Yeah, right? it doesn't yeah. It doesn't start again until March. Yeah, so so oh. we'll be on from eight thirty to ten. We're going to talk uh, to Jeremy from Domino's for about ten minutes about their new electric vehicles for cool. a little bit. But All yeah, right. all right, you guys get out there and, and have a great day, and uh, we will see you tomorrow morning, bright and early, for another exciting edition of uh, Montana Morning. Until then, drive safely, keep the seatbelt buckled, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. It was great to see you.